Isotopes Baseball, 95.9 FM and AM 610, the sports animal. Albuquerque comes to bat. 1-1 the score with El Paso, bottom of the second inning. Hit high in the air to left center field. Way back, way back. Grand slam, Pat Malika. Seventeen to eight, Albuquerque. That one's for you, Jeff Malika. Happy Father's Day, Jeff. That one's for you. This is Watch the Media, and with us now from uh, the great uh, Rocky Mountains, uh, the northern part of the Rocky Mountains, northwestern part of the Rocky Mountains, is Josh Sushan, who is the voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes, also the voice of the New Mexico women's basketball team, and writes books. He's a journalist and a little bit of everything, a renaissance man, to be sure. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, John. It's always good to talk with you. It's good to uh, chat with you as well. We did a little documentary film project together years ago um, and um, known you since you, gosh, worked in the Bay Area. I want to say 20 years ago. Is that fair? Pretty close, huh? Yeah, pretty close now. I was at the Oakland Tribune from late 96 until early of 2007. And you covered... You covered... Major League Baseball, I know you covered both the Giants and the Athletics um, as, a, as a beat reporter. And I will talk a little bit about that before we jump into the broadcasting part of it, because it's not unusual, Josh, now for journalists to work in radio, but kind of as a side job. It isn't that common for a, a, a trained journalist, if I can call you that, a trained journalist to make that big leap into day-to-day broadcasting play-by-play. How did that happen and why? I'm doing now what I always wanted to do. If you had asked me at age 10, at age 12, at age 15, when I was in college, this is what I always wanted to do. These jobs are difficult to get, and I was not getting them. (laughs) My first job out of college was with the Watertown Indians in the New York Penn League. Now, short season ball, it's north of Syracuse, about an hour. And I loved it. I did play-by-play. I did about 100 other things, as you do when you work in the minor leagues. Season ends. It was only a summer job. I come home, and I'm looking for another job. And I'm trying to get a job in minor league baseball to continue on this path. And I couldn't find one. So I need to work. So I'm working at Chili's Bar and Grill on Hop Yard Road in Pleasanton in order to pay some bills. And I start just doing one story a week for the Oakland Tribune. That turns into two. That turns into a part-time job. That turns into a full-time job. And now it's 10 years later, and I'm still not doing what I really wanted to do. I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed newspapers. I knew the newspaper business was changing, not for the best. And I knew that I needed to, if I was going to make this switch, I needed to do it then. And I needed to be bold. And so I started once again applying for jobs in minor league baseball. And I was lucky enough that there was an opening with the Modesto Nets, which was close enough to the Bay Area that the program director knew who I was. And even though I had not done radio in an extremely long time, it had very little practice because of my baseball knowledge, he was willing to take a chance on me to get the job and I will be forever grateful to him. 
Before we go completely into the conversation about broadcast, I want to stay with that journalism thing for just a minute here now. And what is it about being a, a writer, a reporter, and a writer, and an, and a, and an assembler of, uh, of information to turn it around in the written word that helps you as, a, uh, as an oral communicator? That's a really good question, and, and uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to name drop. I'll never Not at all. I'm, I was in spring training. It was 93. I'm out there, and I happened to, to run into Jerry Coleman, the great Jerry Coleman. And um, not knowing any better, I just walked up to him and introduced myself and told him that I go to school at San Diego State, and I work for the newspaper on campus, but what I really want to do is get into broadcasting, and I'm not quite sure how I can make this transition, and I asked if he had any advice for me. Really, I just wanted to meet Jerry Coleman, and there he was. And Jerry said to me that what I was doing in print was going to help me in broadcasting because words are the most effective tool that we have, whether you are writing or talking. And he said, you keep writing because as you gain confidence in your speaking voice, that's going to take time. And then when the confidence in your speaking voice reaches that level your brain will already be ready based on the practice that you have had writing formulating sentences deciding where to put words how to change words and he was absolutely right and although there's a part of me that kind of wishes that i had done broadcasting from day one and had not been 10 years of newspapers i'm really glad that i did it's a unique path but I really do think that that 10 years taught me so much about interviewing sources, research, writing on deadline, communicating, vocabulary, painting pictures, all of those kind of things I think made me better. That's interesting because um, I mean Jerry Coleman is a guy who, the late Jerry Coleman, uh, who, who um, broadcast for a long, long time, but he was a big league baseball player. He was not a guy trained as a writer or trained as a broadcaster. He was in World War II, and he was a big league baseball. He was a hero in World War II, a big league baseball player, uh, a love, really beloved by almost everybody who was ever around him in, in baseball. But he's not a guy who was trained as a, as a wordsmith and giving you that kind of advice. And I wrote down a couple of those notes, and it's all the kinds of things we'd like all of our students to understand as well. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and the thing about Jerry is, for a lot of people, he was known just as much for um, the mistakes that he made on the air. They were called yeah. Colemanisms. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I love the idea that he's, you know, that he put a value on these words, even though he might be just as much known for his work in World War II and being a major league baseball player, but also making a bunch of mistakes on the air. Uh, well, uh, again, most people loved the guy, and the fans in San Diego adored him. And um, I don't know how long he was. He was a San Francisco guy, actually, and, uh -huh. and played his big league career on the East Coast and then made it as a big-time broadcaster in San Diego. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, um, so that's a good way to sort of transition into this sort of battle, this search, this, this, this drive toward becoming a, a Major League Baseball announcer. Because you're not only battling people who are, I'm sorry, you're competing with people to get a big league job, not only with those who are trained, as you are, who've done the Modesto Nuts, as you have, and the Watertown Indians, as you have, but also the former big league players who are getting jobs, and um, more and more in the last 20 years getting play-by-play -play jobs as well. 
And uh, how hard is it to compete with both of those uh, groups of people if you want to be a big league announcer? <laughs> it is extremely difficult. And uh, if, if I knew just how hard it was, I don't know if I would have made the switch. What I have come to learn is that if you're si – like, look – I want to be in the major leagues. I think everyone who's in the minor leagues wants to be in the major leagues. And of course that's the goal. But if, if all you do is sit around and think about that, you're going to go crazy because the odds are actually really slim. And a lot of times I think the closer that I get, meaning I'm at triple a, the further I am because I see the reality of who gets hired. And my goodness, I mean, this past season, there was actually more turnover of new people who are going to be stepping into jobs than there has been in a long, long time. But then you look at who got them and overwhelmingly they're not hiring people from the minor leagues to do play by play in the major leagues, even though you would think that's what you should do or that they would do. They're hiring people who were doing pregame and postgame shows and they're creating positions for big name people. And then you think, well, how do I get a pre and postgame job? Well, most of those are going to people who are already in the market. I mean, I have a, I have a huge list. I'm not going to bore you with where I chart every job that comes open and who ends up getting it and what their background is. And overwhelmingly, I tell people all the time, the minor leagues is good for getting reps and you better really like it because it's not exactly this, this sure path to the major leagues. So then what keeps you going then? What keeps you, if you don't think about it, but you do keep a chart, uh, what keeps you going? Um, I mean, let's, let's at least be honest with the audience. It's not like you're riding old dusty bus, buses. At least you're flying and you're going to big cities, and most of the AAA uh, cities in this country are, are, are large markets, at least big cities. But it still isn't the uh, <laughs> New York Yankees. It's still not the Boston yeah. Red Sox. Yeah. Or the Colorado yeah, well, Rockies, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I do chart these, which is probably because uh, I'm glutton for punishment. <laughs> but, um, again, that, that's sort of the journalist in me that wants to keep track of everything, that wants to document it, that wants actual data that I can look at when I'm trying to figure out what's next. But to answer your question, you, you just live life. You just broadcast. You, you, you are both really grateful in my case i have two jobs i'm very grateful for the two jobs that i have and i don't take that for granted i know there's a lot of people that would love to have either one of the jobs that i have and it's okay to feel that way and also feel like there's something stronger that i want in my life and my career both of those things are fine those th two things can coexist very easily and so i i enjoy each day i enjoy what i broadcast i enjoy when i'm not working I enjoy the cities we go to. We go to fabulous cities. We have incredible fan support in Albuquerque. So if, if that's if that's as high as it gets, I still did pretty darn good, and I still live a, a very fun life. one oh and that one's hit high in the air to center field. Going back is Coleman on the warning track, climbing the hill, spinning at the hill, jumping at the hill, misses. The ball rolls down the hill. Gibson on his way to third. Gibson's going to be waved around home. They're going for the inside the park. Here's the throw. He is safe at home. Derek Gibson inside the park. Home run. And the isotopes lead it two to one. Oh, 
what an electrifying moment for Gibson as he crushed it to dead center. And with his speed, he's always thinking triple and then Tim Doherty aggressively sending him around third. And that is the second inside the park home run for the Topes this season. So you've now worked uh, now in seven years in Albuquerque, coming up to your seventh year with the Isotopes. Uh, Josh Sushan is the voice of the Isotopes. I'm John Schrader. This is Watch the Media. Um, so give me a little bit of an idea of what the life is like um, doing uh, baseball and AAA baseball and in Albuquerque. Well, let me uh, – maybe I'll answer that question by explaining um, – so I spent four years working for 790 KBC in Los Angeles and the Dodgers radio network. So there was, um, so back then Vin Scully still did a simulcast for the first three innings on radio. So Vin was part of the broadcast. Then Charlie Steiner did six innings of play by play. Rick Monday was the analyst for uh, six innings. Um, I did some pre and post game reporting. I did work for the network and I was the co-host of post game Dodger talk. Ken Levine was my co-host on post-game Dodger talk. A guy by the name of Josh Cumming was the engineer and uh, producer. So he set up all the equipment. He made sure all the live reads got in. He kept everybody organized. There was also a statistician who worked with Charlie and Rick to make sure that they had numbers. So that was seven people. I'm probably forgetting somebody, but there were seven people involved in that broadcast with the isotopes. was one me. <laughs> That's I, it. No sidekick or not, nothing. I, huh? I do all seven of those jobs. I do the play-by-play -play and the anal and the uh, analysis, and I set up the equipment, and I make sure all the live reads get read. And when we have a corporate guest that comes in the booth to talk about their product, I make sure their microphone works, and I make sure that they get their plugs in. And I do the pre-game show, and I do the post-game show, and then I pack it all up and go to the next city and bring the equipment down to the clubhouse so it can get put on the plane and then do it all over again in the next city. At least you don't have to sell the time, do you? Uh, actually, I do. That's part of my job in the offseason is to work on corporate sales. So, yeah, I have a few clients, including uh, some clients that have some radio advertising. Well, that's good then. So you're making a living. Yeah. So if, um, you know, if I don't get the live read in for that client, well, then I'm, you know, I understand salespeople a whole lot better than I did 10 years ago. Because <laughs> if I don't get the live read in, I, you know, that's my client. So what's the quality of baseball like in AAA? It's really good. I, you know, here, here's the thing. If, if you didn't know any better and the uniforms weren't there and there wasn't the difference in the ballparks, you know, one has one level, maybe two levels. The other has three levels or four levels of, of, of sections. Dodger Stadium has four sections. Um, I don't know if you would notice a dramatic difference if you went to one game. When you go to a number of games in a row, then you start to see a difference. And, and the biggest difference is that when somebody is really good at AAA, they're just not going to last. And so Mike Trout didn't last very long at AAA. <laughs> so that's the biggest difference is that once somebody gets too good for that league, they move up. Whereas once they get to the major leagues, they're not going anywhere for a long time. So that's probably the biggest difference. But, you know, the, the other difference is that in the major leagues, and this is obvious, in the major leagues, it's all about winning. And in the minor leagues, it's about making yourself better in player development. And so the decisions that get made in minor league baseball games are not always geared toward winning. More times than not, they are geared toward making sure that players do not get hurt 
and putting players in a situation where they can learn and get better based on what they might end up doing in the major leagues. Let me ask you a question that almost sounds like I'm asking you, who, if you have children, who's your favorite child? Um, what, would, what would be more fulfilling to you or is more fulfilling to you? Uh, working pre- and post-game shows in the major leagues or doing play-by-play in AAA? I've thought about that more than I should. And my opinion has changed over the years because I had already done that in the major leagues. When I came to Albuquerque, I remember thinking, I'm not going to go back to the major leagues to do a pre and post job. I'm only going to go back if I get to do play by play. I always equated it to when you're doing pre and post in the majors, it's like you are a reserve. You're not a starter, but you're on the team, but you're a reserve. And when you're doing play-by-play in the minor leagues, not only are you a starter, but you're an everyday starter. You're batting third. You're batting fourth. You know, you're, you're a major part of what's going on. Now, as I go into my seventh season, you know, priorities start to change a little bit. And, you know, you just start to get a little bit restless. And especially when you see that the path to where you want to be often goes through being a pre- and post-game uh, show host, then that starts to have a lot more appeal than it did six years ago. You know, it, it, it still depends. And, and every pre- and post-game show host job is slightly different based on whether it's controlled by the radio station or the team, whether it's the network pre-game or whether it's the pre-pre. So not all pre- and post-jobs are created equal, but that, that becomes a situation where it, it – Plus, like, you just want to be a part of something where the winning and losing matters. So I don't want to make it seem like I'm, uh, like, longing for something that I don't have. Don't get me wrong. To answer your question, I probably started to swing back toward the pre and post in the majors again. Have you seen the way um, – or, or let me rephrase that question before it's even asked. How has the presentation of Major League Baseball changed in the digital social media era? If at all. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely changed a lot. And to be honest, it has changed dramatically in the six years that I've been away from the major leagues. I mean, shoot, I remember when when Twitter first started and teams basically put the intern from their PR staff and said, you, you go play with that Twitter thing. And now most teams have multiple people who are in charge of social media only. The days of the PR staff running the social media accounts is long over. Maybe they, maybe they have access to it and they might post something every once in a while, but there's dedicated people who do the social media and they're extremely uh, talented. Um, they, they have a really cre- a creativity, the voice. I mean, I always think about the Colorado Rockies social media team because they are phenomenal. And when I've had a chance to visit with them and, ha- and they've spoken to our team about their strategy and how they divide up the responsibilities. And it really is something the way they work as a team. Um, you know, there's a lot of other stuff with highlights how that gets posted now, which has changed in the six years that, that, that I've been gone. I will say though, that in the minor leagues, like with our team, we try to, we try to pretend like we're a major league team with what we do social media uh, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook, and, and how we get our message across in the digital way. We try, we don't have the staff and the budget that they have, but you know, I know that you know, I'm not involved in it that much. Our, our two PR guys, Kevin and Andrew do it and they do a remarkable job. But um, that, that's, it's a big part of – and I think that when teams are looking to hire somebody, they probably want someone who has the skills to do all the above. 
and in your presentation and in what you do as a broadcaster to represent not only Albuquerque's baseball team and New Mexico's women's basketball team, but Josh Sushan, the entrepreneur, what have you added to your arsenal um, in the last few years to make yourself more marketable and, and your, and your, and your, and your slot with the team? Yeah. You know what? To be honest, I'm kind of intentionally boring, but I, I, I have two philosophies that I try to focus on. Number one, if I'm applying for a job and somebody looks at my social media page, I don't want them to see something that makes them uh, not want to hire me. That's number one. That's, that might be the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so that's where I try to be boring to make sure, but, but not, not a bad boring. But then number two, I just try to think of like, like, I don't want to put any, I'm, I don't want to be negative on social media. There's enough people that are negative and that's fine. I, I want to just be as positive as I can be with everything that I post. But then in terms of the content that I choose to post, I don't want to do what the team is already posting, what the university is already posting. I want to try and add something else to what they're not saying that maybe I can say, or I can maybe make it a little bit more personal. I, tr you know, one of the things I try to do, and this is the most basic stuff ever is remind people, Hey, there's a game today. It's game day. Yeah, There you go. Yeah. <laughs> here, here is a link on where you can find. This is when the pregame show starts. Uh, do a tweet that says, this is who I interviewed for the pregame show. These are the topics that we covered. I think you'll like it kind of thing. Um, I'm not going to do scoring updates because that's what the team can do. Mm -hmm. Plus I'm busy broadcasting the game, but you know, I like to do deep dives on interesting attendance notes or, you know, if the Rocky signs some obscure minor leaguer, and I think he might be in Albuquerque or maybe he's not such an obscure minor leaguer. I want to let our fans know, Hey, this person might be with us. I try to do some behind the scenes stuff, cool photos, sunsets, fireworks, time lapses, um, just stuff that I can capture while being there. View from the booth, a view from the dugout before the game, a view from the floor before the game, just those kinds of things to kind of let people along for the ride and being able to see what I see. You know, I sort of equate it as what we've always had, we professionals in media, is access. And what we've done is provide that access and the information we get from that access, whether it's a 3,000-word piece in the paper or a 10,000-word piece in New Yorker or a, or a three-hour radio show or a television interview. Whatever it is, we're selling that access. We've had to find, and it's been sort of fun in a lot of respects, find new avenues to share that access. And I think you just listed a number of those things where you can share that access to all of those people, 100% of those people who are listening to you who don't get to go to the same places you do, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. You know, one of the things that we're taught when we're doing radio play-by-play -play is pretend like there's a person sitting next to you who's blind. They can hear everything, but they can't see anything. And you're trying to describe in vivid detail what it is that they can't see. And I try to take that philosophy with me when I'm broadcasting the game on the radio. And what I also try to do with my social media is try to make people, whether they're here or whether it's social media, I want people to feel like they're there, whether they're listening from their phone, whether they're listening from their car, whether they're watching on a computer screen that they've connected to their TV. I want them to feel like they're there and I want them to want to be there so that they want to go to a game still. I mean, we're still salespeople. We're still you know, we want people to, to care about the team, to care about the players, to hopefully buy a ticket, to come out, to buy a hat. But you, you want to sell the experience and the experience that you're selling. Yeah, it has changed. Sometimes it's just, hey, this is the photo of 
the team hopping off the bus and they're heading in and look at the look of determination on their face. And here we go. Or it's, um, Hey, remember that home run that I described yesterday that went about 500 feet? Well, I'm standing in the location of where that ball landed. And this is a photo back toward home plate of where that ball landed to help people visualize mm-hmm. what it was that we're, de- uh, you know, that we're describing. That is the kind of stuff I think that, that sort of separates the storytellers from just the other folks is finding those things. The things that come to your head as a storyteller, as a journalist, as a reporter that come to your mind that you can share with the audience rather than just a selfie and standing in front of the stadium <laughs> you know that's like uh, that's like as colloquial as tr- trite as as cliched as you can get but I but standing at the spot where that home run was that is awesome and then let him hear that right and see it and you know, then let him hear it yeah for sure and again that's where the journalist in me comes out um shoot I remember the Giants played the Yankees in an interleague series this would have been 2002 the year after Bonds had set the single season home run record and he hit one halfway up the third deck at Yankee stadium. And I remember leaving my seat in the press box and going up there to interview the fan who got the ball just to get the, I can't believe that a baseball landed up here and that I got it quote for my story. And so the lesson from that is something that I take into. Yeah. I want to stand here. I've done that a couple of times. I remember, I remember Jamie Romack hit one and um, yeah, I, I stood in the exact place where the, where the ball landed. I looked at the video and took a picture of it. I remember showing it to Jamie and posting it on social media. Like, yeah, this is where the ball land. Or here's a picture of the scoreboard. You see, this was also in Salt Lake. Uh, you see the, the B and B's that's where Jock Peterson's home run landed. It hit that B, you know, so that people, you know, maybe and do like two photos where it's like, okay, here's the wide shot. And then here's the zoom in. That's where the ball landed. That is awesome. And now Sam Howard heading to the plate. Well, we've told this story before about Sam Howard, but it's always fun. Sam Howard is a left-handed pitcher. He bats right-handed, he golfs right-handed, he does everything else left-handed. And the reason why he bats right-handed is because he has an older brother who batted left-handed, and his dad would put a baseball down on the tee, and while older brother is on the left side, so Sam grabbed the right side of the plate, he's looking to bunt, he takes the first pitch a little outside for ball one. And Sam's idea was, well, if older brother's on the other side, I'm gonna be on the right side and swing away. And so he learned how to swing the bat right-handed, and then he took up golf, plays a lot of golf with his dad, with his older brother, everything else he does left-handed. Josh Sushan is the voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes of the Pacific Coast League. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. Despite the the some sometimes disappointment of not doing big league baseball, doing triple A baseball, you s- still get that kind of feeling every morning when you get up and say, I, I love going to the ballpark. I love doing this. There isn't anything I'd rather do. Sure, I'd like to be doing it in the big leagues, but there's nothing I'd rather be doing in life. Oh, heck yeah. You know, and to be honest, that isn't that usually happens just before the game begins. It doesn't necessarily happen in the morning. To me, that happens just before the broadcast begins. I still get butterflies. I used to wonder what was wrong with me that I got butterflies. I remember (laughs) thinking I, I remember thinking 
by now you would think that I'm over it. You would think that I've gotten used to this and that I wouldn't get nervous. And I wish I could remember who told me. I was in the press box at Dodger Stadium one day and somebody said, embrace the butterflies. Get excited about the butterflies. The butterflies mean you're excited, you care, your body realizes it's doing something different. It's That's energy that it's bringing to you because your body knows you're about to do something. So instead of thinking, oh no, why do I butterflies? Do it the exact opposite thing. Oh yes, heck yeah. Those are my friends. My friends, the butterflies are here with me and they're going to make sure that I have a good call today. And then real, and then the ninth inning of a tie game, you know, when every pitch could make the difference and there's a chance for a walk-off. I mean, those are the moments that never get old. and th- Those are the best ever moments. And those are the moments that somewhere in the back of your head, the little voice is saying, get the call right, get the yes. call right, make right. sure it goes over the fence first, make sure you know exactly who's in right field when it happens, yeah. all of those things, yeah. right? You know, yeah. you know, 99.99999% you got it all right, but there's one little thing in there that says, get it right, dude, get it yeah. right. Don't scream too loud. In fact, don't scream, mm-hmm. be dramatic, shut up, know when to shut up, give yourself these little pauses. Don't get so high-pitched with your delirium that you lose sight of what's going on. Just a little pause between words or between sentences makes such a difference. And then shut up and let the crowd tell the story. Yeah, don't get in the way, right? You're there just yep. to kind of give them the pieces that they can't get uh, and don't let the moment, don't get in the way of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what is this? Uh, what is the podcasting game that you play now, and what has that done for you? And and give us a little bit of an idea of what you're doing with that. Well, as you mentioned, I've done some books, and books are challenging, and uh, it's it's a long time from when you start researching a book until the time that you publish it, and uh, they are exhausting. And uh, so I've done three of those, and. Because, like you mentioned, you know, I'm still going to always consider myself a journalist. I, I consider myself a content creator. I guess that's kind of a buzzword in our industry now. Anyways, um, you know, look, every game, I do a five-minute interview with somebody for the pregame show. And sometimes it's pulling teeth to get five minutes. And other times it's, um, it's, it's a struggle to tell a compelling story within five minutes. And I know that this really came to my mind last year. We had a pitcher on our team by the name of David Holman. And David is the son of former major leaguer Brian Holman, who pitched um, in the big leagues, mostly known for his time with the Expos and the Mariners. He was part of the uh, him and Randy Johnson were traded for Mark Langston back in the late 80s. Anyways, um, David nearly died twice. He fell off a ski lift at about age eight and um, somehow lived. And then as they were examining him, they realized that he had a tumor in his brain and they couldn't get it out because it was still too small. They basically had to wait a couple of years before he could have brain surgery to get this tumor out. And I remember thinking, like, this is an incredible story. I want to talk to him about it. But how in the world do you tell that story in five minutes? Right? You don't. Yeah, yeah, you don't tell that story in five minutes. And so I started to think, okay, I want to have something else. I want to be able to scratch the itch even though I'm busy enough, I, I want to, I want to talk to people and I don't want to just talk X's and O's. I don't want to talk about, Hey, so tell me about the grip on your curveball. Um, although I recorded one earlier today with somebody and we were actually talking about how Sandy Koufax and him were talking about the grip of a curveball. Now that's a fun topic, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so be able to go off the, you know, the off the field stuff I think is sometimes just as interesting. Uh, 
trying to uh, humanize athletes. I did one with um, a guy who used to be the backup dancer and lead choreographer for MC Hammer. And now he is the running backs coach at San Jose. What's your name? Alonzo Carter. What is your current job and how long have you held it? I am the current running back coach and recruiting coordinator at San Jose State University. This would be my third season coming up. What is your connection to the legendary rapper MC Hammer? I'm his former background dancer. I was the lead posse member. I was with him five years, and it was a great experience. You might be wondering, how on earth does somebody go from dancer and choreographer for MC Hammer to a coach at a Division I university and the recruiting coordinator? Well, you're in for a treat, because today on this edition of Life Around the Seams, we meet with a very unique individual, someone who I've known for a long time. First time I've seen him in about 20 years or so, it is the real Coach Carter. Alonzo Carter is our guest next on life around the seams. And so whenever I can find somebody who's done something dramatically different, they used to do this. Now they do this. One of the, one of the other uh, radio guys in our league, Mike Caps, he worked for CNN he didn't work in sports like me. He worked in news. He covered the Waco siege. He did two mm. tours of duty in the first um, Iraq war. Um, he covered space shuttle launches. He uh, was one of the reporters whose, uh, whose stories brought down the SMU football team in the early 80s. He wow. was an extremely accomplished newsman who decided to change all of that. And now he's a minor league baseball play-by-play announcer. So those are the kind of stories that I really like to tell. And I think it's fun to learn about people and and how they made those transitions. How often do you do it? And what is the uh, title, the name of your podcast? The name of the podcast is Life Around the Seams, which I thought was fitting since we're talking about life away from baseball as much as life in baseball. In terms of how often, I, I wish I had a set schedule. I wish I could tell you every Monday uh, or once every two weeks. It's basically whenever I can find somebody who I think is interesting, who has an interesting story to tell, who's willing to sit down with me. Um, I, I Let's see. I think I've done two this year. <laughs> I just started it last year. I think I did. I think I'm up to 14 or 15 total episodes, somewhere around there. So it all just depends. I don't want to do them just for the sake of doing them. But I want to be able to um, to tell some fun stories and also showcase my ability to do things other than just describe uh, strikeouts and double play grounders. There you go. Now I'm going to ask you, Josh Sushan, um, how to describe double play grounders and uh, uh, sort of. Uh, what's the key? If there's some simple formula to survive and thrive as a baseball announcer, uh, which for some of us who've tried it, we know it is really difficult. And in, every one of my students, anybody who knows me, knows my mantra. The, the only people who think broadcasting is easy are those who have never tried it, right? So baseball yeah. is a, among the most difficult, maybe the most difficult games to do. When things are going well and there's runners at first and second and the ball's hit almost on every pitch, it's awesome. But that's not the way the game is played. Um, so how do you, you know, what is the secret, the formula, especially when you're doing it by yourself to make baseball play by play work? You know, a lot of times you're kind of at the mercy of the starting pitcher and how fast the starting pitcher is working. And to me, one of the main things is just really, I feel like you're doing a waltz with a starting pitcher. You, you have to know how long the starting pitcher is going to take in between pitches. 
not only that, but you have to know when the starting pitcher comes to the set position, how much longer before he then throws the ball. And so if you have a quick pitcher, then, then you better be really careful that you don't get caught. And when you have someone who takes a long time, then you better be really charming about well, the other things that are going on around the ballpark. So that's number one is it starts with have a good sense of the starting pitcher's rhythm and his cadence so that you know what to fill in. Um, the second thing for me is this goes back to journalism. What's most important right now? If it's 10 to two, then I'm not going to bother saying he comes set at the letters. He looks over to his right at the runner at second base. You know, he raises his, I'm not going to get into the, all this descriptive detail when it's 10 to two in the eighth innings, it doesn't matter. That's when you better find something that doesn't have to do with the game. That's still interesting. But early in the game, I do want to say, does he bring his hands over his head as part of his windup? Is it more modified? Um, when he comes set, does he come set at the letters, at the belt? Is it a low set? Is it a high set? Is he on the first base side of the rubber, the third base side of the rubber? Again, this comes back to the person sitting next to you is blind and can't see all these things. What is the wind doing? Where is the sun setting? Who is looking into the sun right now? Where are the shadows at? So if you start the game by getting all of that sort of detail in, and then you start to drift off a little bit, and then you got to know when to drift back on. And then you just follow. I, I try to follow my journalistic instincts. I want to tell people a lot about the starting pitcher and what his background is. But if I have all these notes prepared about what a great season he's having and what a great career he has had to this point, and he's already given up two runs and there's two runners on, I better not be talking about how great his career is. I better be talking about how he's on the ropes. He's struggling to get through the first inning. And so, but and at the same time, the, the best you might. You know, there's so many times I've said, "All right, here we go. Okay, this fourth inning, I'm going to get in the out of town scoreboard, or I'm going to tell this story or that story." And you got to be really careful about that because you really. I learned this from Ken Korak with the A's. It really has to start on the field. Everything starts on the field, and then based on what's going on, then you can work work it up to the press box with the notes that you prepared. Um, I think that. You get really proud of research and notes, and you want to get all of those into the broadcast, but you can't force them in. Just start with what's on the field, and then, as appropriate, bring it up to the press box with your prepared notes. Great. How do you handle the downtime and, and travel? Because we know that the more you do this, the more the downtime and the travel get to be sort of a um, – I don't know if a burden is the right word, but certainly uh, they can be. So how do you handle those? things find things that don't have to do with baseball and sports read books that have have anything to do with sports listen to podcasts that don't have anything to do with sports um go out into the city and find something to do that doesn't have to do with sports um you know yesterday here in boise i went to the zoo it's not a great zoo but it was kind of a cool zoo gave me something to do that didn't have to do with sports when i was in um when i was in nashville uh rented a car and i drove to the jack daniels distillery because I always wanted to see that. When I was in Memphis, I went to the Civil Rights Museum, and I went to Graceland, and I went to the records, um, the recording studio where Elvis got his started. I try to find things to do in every city that have nothing to do with sports. That, you know, I try to be a tourist as, as much as I can, and that's that kind of that's my sanity. If I just sit in the hotel room all day, that's going to be really boring. I, I need to go find something to do and explore that city, and and, and that's my salvation. 
Okay, so we wrap this up. Two quick questions. What is the best part about your job and your life as a broadcaster? Um, you know, I think a lot of it is, uh, to me, the minor leagues are about two types of players. It is the hot shot up and coming prospect. And you're curious, is this person as good as the hype? And just how good can this person be in the major leagues? And then the other one is someone who's been in the majors and is trying to get back there. Do they still have it left? So over the last couple of years, we've had Ryan Howard and Matt Holliday on our roster. So to see those guys trying to see if they've still got it. So it turned out Howard did not get called up at the end of that season. Matt Holiday did. Um, the next wave of prospects. When I watched Trevor Story on TV for the Rockies, and I think I got to see him with the isotopes, and I got to know him. I got to watch him. I got to see him get better. Same thing with Jock Peterson. Same thing with David Dahl. Same thing with everyone in the Colorado Rockies starting rotation, all five of them. So to me, it's – it's the excitement of seeing this guy who's close, who's so close that he can taste it, but there's maybe one thing that he still has to work on, or he just has to wait his turn and to see how they handle that and, and see their progression and how they get better and then seeing what they can do when they get to the major leagues. Um, I, I would say that's the most fun. So in turn, what then becomes the greatest challenge of this uh, life as a broadcaster? When it's 10 to one in the third inning. <laughs> <laughs> right or that or clock when, just does not move does it it the life yeah. just doesn't move forward yeah or when it's uh you know when it's august and the team that you're broadcasting is not going to the playoffs and um you know and and you know you just look at the roster and you go okay there, there's just not a lot of storylines left and trying to find an interesting storyline and still trying to keep your same positive energy your same research um, it, it's to me, it's more mentally exhausting than physically exhausting. I mean, all I do is I talk, right? I mean, planes take us everywhere and buses and that's, that's not that difficult. You get used to it after a while. It, it's, it's the mental side of it's two o'clock and the game starts in five hours. And for the last 130 days, I've researched the starting pitcher and now I got to do it again. And I got to research these guys in the bullpen and I got to research, you know, it's just never ending. And so just the mental grind of, not taking a day off in your prep because when you're solo, you can't, if you've got an analyst, then you can just yuck it up and talk about whatever and banter back and forth. But when you're solo, you have to be able to bring stories. That one day you don't do it yeah. is the one day you get burned, right? That is the fear. Yeah. That is the fear in the back of your head always, isn't it? Yeah, it, it absolutely is. You know, I mean, that that's a, uh, that's a scary feeling when it's yeah when it's the third or fourth inning and you're kind of like what have I got to talk about between pitches that is an uncomfortable feeling so let me make sure that I don't have that uncomfortable feeling well Josh thanks a million for the time I appreciate it this has been fun great catching yeah, up with absolutely. you absolutely this flew by thanks yes, uh, it, for inviting me oh you're welcome and uh, best of luck and uh, I hope that that chart you keep has your name at the top of it one of these days <laughs> and I'll be anxious to see that okay I hope so, too. Enjoy Europe. I wish that uh, you were going at a different time and not when uh, the Topes are going to be in Omaha this season, but we'll have to get together soon. Yes, I hope so. Thanks. All, All right. right. Josh Sushan is the voice of the Albuquerque Isotopes and also the New Mexico women's basketball team. He's been with us today on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader.